Our text uh, this morning is, uh, comes from the 13th chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews, beginning at the 7th verse. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not uh, benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is, bought, is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that, that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, <clears throat> for that would be of no advantage to you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So we are nearing the end of our sermon series on Hebrews. Um, hold fast uh, the theme has been the theme of it and the title uh, to hold fast to Jesus. Uh, we entitled that because there, um, I think, still and um, continually are different um, questions that come up around how we as Christians should act and live in today's world and society. I think different, um, you know, world events and news stories often make us question what we are doing um, here, what our faith means, um, and how we interpret uh, the various happenings in the world. And so um, Hebrews, I feel like, is still a very good uh, source and guide to teach us to hold fast to who Christ is. Not having kind of the bumper sticker or the, the Twitter theology that so easily um, uh, infects all of uh, what we do and who we are, uh, but to go deeper into uh, who Christ is and who he calls us to be as his people in this world. As we move to the end of the letter, this is really even a sermon um, as we move to the end of this sermon, um, the, the author, the preacher, moves into some of the more practical outworkings of what our faith looks like and how that happens. And here we have um, lessons on leadership, follow the leader as I've entitled it. Uh, shortly after uh, we moved to Atlanta, um, things seemed to be going quite well. Uh, but I started to have a lot of nervousness and anxiety in my body, and it dwelled uh, primarily in my bladder, so I felt like I had to go to the bathroom all the time, even though I had just gone. I was worried that things wouldn't go well, and sooner or later, the proverbial stuff would hit the fan, and it would all blow up. During this time, we went to uh, back to... Uh, Tulsa for Thanksgiving, and my dad and I were out 
playing golf, and um, it was just him and I, so we had plenty of time to be able to talk and uh, talk about things, and I brought this up, and he uh, relayed the story of as he was in his first job, and his boss had a rule that you would call in at 8 a.m. every Monday morning and give him the update of what you've done the previous week and what you would be doing this next week. Well, my dad took that as a suggested time to call in, and he would call in around 8 o'clock. And this guy, being a former military guy, took um, uh, quite a bit of umbrage with my dad about this. And when this guy was retiring and um, moving on, uh, he spoke to my dad. He said, you know, you're, you're a very hard worker, but you are a maverick. You don't submit to leadership. It can be hard to submit to leadership sometimes, especially when we think we can do it on our own, that we can follow things to the rule of the law, um, maybe not always just the spirit of the law. But leadership is hard. Words like uh, submission, obey, even leadership is not always words that I'm super comfortable with these days. And church leadership has come under huge scrutiny as well. Scandals have rocked the church from Catholicism to Presbyterianism to Pentecostalism. There is no church without um, poor leadership at one time or another. There have been leaders who have abused their positions of power for monetary means, for narcissistic ends, for something other than the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus Christ. It is a tricky balance when it comes to the makeup of leadership, especially in churches, and especially in new churches. Starting a new church can sometimes be interpreted as there's something wrong with the church. There is something wrong with the church. There's something wrong with every church. But the truth is that the core of why we are starting the table is because we have a deep love for the church My desire is to see the big C church grow through the table uh, as the small C church. As a leader of this new church, I still am uh, uh, thrown off by some of the language used. Obey, submit, leadership. Writing the sermon was like, how do I talk about my role? This is going to be awkward. It was one of those, you know, stepping into it, it felt like. Uh, These words themselves have been used abusively in my own story. Likely they have been used that way in yours. There have been overreaching bosses or parents or teachers or someone in your life who have overstepped their bounds in leadership. Maybe you've been in abusive environments that label you a problem when you ask too many questions or you've been labeled as does not play well with others or needs work on social skills when It's not necessarily you, but it's the leadership that needs to be worked on. But the author of Hebrews pulls back the curtain on what the inner life of the Christian community is supposed to look like, what the relationship between leaders and the congregation looks like, what the relationship between pastors and the church looks like. And this is the characteristics of it should be that of mutual benefit. So we're going to look at the relationship between the congregation and the leaders today. The congregation, we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to read verses 7 and then 17. He writes, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
Verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. He instructs the congregation, the people hearing his sermon, reading his letter. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. He uses the word uh, hegeomai, which was broadly used, the Greek term that was broadly used for state leaders in the Greco-Roman Empire. And in the Old Testament, it was used for religious, political, and military leaders. It was a, a broad sweeping term. But here, the reference is to those who spoke the word of those, those who preached to you when the church of Hebrews was founded. He says, consider the outcome of their lives. What was the sum total of their accomplishments in lives? Look at the fullness of their lives. How did it bear out? What did it look like? What did it result in? Don't just take one or two scenarios that you can uh, throw their life out completely or that kind of lifts them up into this exalted status that they wouldn't have otherwise, but take the whole of it. What is the fruit of their lives? Imitate that. Fashion your life after theirs. And then a shift in verse 17 is actually to current leaders. Look at those who are leading you now. Obey them. Submit to them. These words carry out the notion of putting your their one's confidence in them and having a readiness to comply with their leadership. And then in the middle here in verse uh, 9 actually he says do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings. This word is don't float away with the current. Don't go with the flow of culture continue to follow the leaders teachings. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says, don't be lured away from him by the latest speculations about him. Speaking of Jesus, the grace of Christ is the only good ground for life. Products products named after Christ don't seem to do much for those who buy them. And then let your, ser- your leaders serve with joy. This carries out the idea of yielding to the leaders so that their ministry can happen, so that there's joy in that, so it produces joy, so it doesn't produce groaning and consternation. You know, there are um, a lot of lives that we look out at, a lot of lives that we look at to uh, imitate. You've probably were told at some point that imitation is the highest form of flattery. It was likely that when your sibling was annoying you to death, you heard this, but it applies as we grow up as well. We have all had people in our lives, I hope, that we have had the desire to imitate. Who is that in your life? Who has that been? Who do you look at now? I have two people that I remember and seek to imitate in my own life and vocation. Um, Strangely enough, they are both named Eugene. Why, why that name came to be, uh, I'm not sure, but that is the theme. Eugene Scott, Brendan's dad, actually, and Eugene Peterson. One I know personally, one I've only known through his writings. Eugene Scott I met in sixth grade um, when we moved to Tulsa. Uh, he was one of the pastors at the church that we were at. 
I was able to have a personal relationship with him. We have uh, ministry experiences or like church experiences where we went to Costa Rica together. We have served in various ways. He was the pastor that served over uh, the youth group. And so I got to know him. I got to be able to see the fullness of his life. I was invited into his home. I was a part of his family. Our families were very close and deep friends. And he was a huge reason for entering pastoral ministry in my life. Eugene Peterson is one who um, showed me, I, I knew of him and I had, you know, read the message a little bit here and there and I had bought some of his books, but when pastoral ministry got hard, he began to be able to show me, he was present to be it through his writings to give me um, what I'm calling pastoral presence, what it really means to be a pastor instead of getting caught up in maybe some of the other uh, aspects of the American church, how to have a theological imagination for who we are uh, in our vocation, and then also to be in the Psalms, to be able to pray this prayer book. I think we need both types of these relationships in our lives, those who we find a deep resonance through reading about their lives, but also those we can follow personally. So let me lead you. Imitate me. Do as I tell you. Obey and submit. There we go. We're done. I'm just kidding. I do hope you find my life one worthy of imitation. And I do find it deep joy to be your pastor. I think as we move into the next stages of who we are as a church... Um, this is likely going to become more challenging as our kids grow up. Different aspects of our relationship, relationships are more challenging. There are times in which we won't agree on what's best for the church or even more personally, your life. But know that I am deeply, um, that I love you all deeply, that I'm looking for ways to be able to care for you in um, ways that see Christ's grace and mercy bear out more and more in your lives. I want you to know that um, I want to think that you've been able to see in my life in a way that you too know I am in deep need of Christ's grace in my own life, and yet something in there is worth imitating. As we move forward, I want you to know that um, I also want you to think about how you are a part of this church. You each have a role to play. God has gifted you and given you unique roles in how you specifically tell the story that he is telling in your life. That's how the church functions. That's why we come together. That's why we are not called to do this faith life on our own, but to be a part of the community this passage pushes the point that I need you to be able to serve and lead well with joy. And I look forward to us being able to look back and see just how this church has grown to provide a place at the table of God's grace. This is the congregation's responsibility. What's the leader's responsibility? We'll look at verses 7 and 17 again. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch of your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage of you. Leaders are those who speak the word of God to you, who have a faith worth imitating. They keep watch over your souls and they serve with joy. Church leaders, pastors, and non-pastor leaders have responsibilities too. They must be those who speak to you the word of God. They must have a faith worth imitating. They must keep watch over your souls and seek to serve with joy. In other words, they must preach scripture. Being men and women of the book, as it is often said, they should not be carried away with the current of culture, but have the ability to apply scripture to the unique cultural situation that we find ourselves in. They must live a life of integrity, have a faith worth imitating, a trust in God through all aspects of life, to be aware of the state of your souls, to keep a temperature of your faith, to pray for you. Their service should be marked with joy. Ministry can be extremely challenging, but to find joy while they are serving. I wanted to share my own pastoral call uh, with you guys. Um, we moved from Oklahoma City to Tulsa. It was the longest 90 miles of my life uh, between uh, my fifth and sixth grade year. I've never lived anywhere as long as I did in uh, Edmond and Oklahoma City area uh, before moving to Tulsa. Um, and middle school is not fun for anyone, I feel like. Um, it doesn't matter what uh, the situation is. But I started to get in trouble at school, started to kind of um, have to make a choice of which direction I was going to go in my life. And I didn't really feel like I had direction in my life. I had a lot of interests and hobbies, like I still do, but I didn't have any real um, focus in that. My faith became my own in this time. As I began to see Jesus as the constant throughout the changes and the move. I think I've actually talked about this before. That's why I have um, an anchor uh, tattoo. I went to Costa Rica on a mission trip in 10th grade. Um, and God used me to tell his story of grace. I didn't think my testimony was anything particularly exciting. I wasn't delivered from uh, drugs or a life of um, um, Whatever. General depravity. depravity, Thank you. But God used the story that he was telling in my life to bring people to faith in him. At that point, I knew that I would be going into ministry. So when I went to college, I first um, majored in being a radio DJ. Um, It was a long road, a winding one. But I did a church internship. the church that I grew up in. And after that summer, uh, the joy that I found in being able to uh, see uh, the youth, the high school students grow in their faith, um, I knew that that was what uh, was ahead of me. I knew I was going to go to seminary. I knew that I was going to pursue a life of um, pastoral ministry. In the seminary exit interview, they asked me, what are you looking forward to the most about ministry? I said, the people. I get to see what God is doing in their lives and how he is at work in them. I said, where are you looking forward to the least? I hadn't prepared for this. I thought I was pretty witty. I said, the people, because there's challenges. We have relationships to uphold. We won't always agree on things. I will be held accountable to um, how I care for you. 
I am held accountable. I'm held accountable to God. I'm held accountable in our polity, how our church is structured as well. We're not just one church floating out here in the midst, in the current, uh, riding the waves, uh, but we are connected to uh, all sorts of other churches as well, local and um, uh, national. We call, we're called Presbyterians. Um, our polity, how we're set up, is that we will have a local leadership called elders. It's where the word Presbyterian comes from. It's the Greek word for elders. So there'll be people here that are leading us, not just me by myself. There's a regional presbytery where pastors and other elders of churches come together uh, to do the business of the church. And then we're connected nationally. We're part of the evangelical uh, Presbyterian Church, and we meet yearly what's called the General Assembly. That was here this past June. It'll be in Memphis this next year. But it's a connectional relationship that we have with one another. We mutually hold each other accountable for what God is doing, and so that we're not just, I'm not the Pope of this congregation, nor should I be, uh, but we are doing this work together. Moreover, though, um, I'm connected to a group of friends that happen to all be uh, Presbyterian pastors as well. Um, and we are learning together. We are growing together. I spent this last week together, and we call it the Ambrose cohort. Um, Ambrose was the bishop who oversaw um, Augustine, St. Augustine's life of faith as well. But we are able to see deeply into one another's lives, be able to see the hurt and the pain, the grace of God in each other's lives, um, this takes place more than any presbytery ever could. I am held accountable to these uh, fellow um, pastors in uh, my work here and in our life of the church. Um, but moreover, again, I'm held accountable to God for my care of you, how I watch over your souls. There are about five ways, well, there are more than five ways, but there's five very specific ways how I do that. Preaching the word, explaining scripture to you, studying the word, praying scripture, praying for you, praying for the needs of you, um, uh, administering the sacraments, both the Lord's Supper and baptism. Discipline is a part of that. Um, Lord willing, we don't do a whole lot of that, but it's to see you grow in your life as well. Um, those are the four like official things. Um, I added hospitality as well. Um, because this is a holy invitation into each other's lives, both you into my life and me into yours. These reflect the same instructions that our author gives to the congregation to remember, to consider, to imitate, to obey, and submit. And most of all, I count it a great joy and privilege and honor to be invited into uh, or behind the curtain of your life to be able to see what God is doing in your lives. I fear you having the opportunity to peer behind the curtain of my life. As I said, I too need God's work in it. But I think that's part of the beauty of the gospel. Verse 18 that we look at, we'll look at next week, he says, Pray for us, the author writes, and I'd ask the same. I desperately need your prayers in this work as your pastor. It's not a one-way street of me only caring for you, but together we are growing in our faith and our imitation of Jesus, because leaders change, congregations change, but Jesus remains the same. The thing about this passage is that we are both following the one true leader, 
So look, look at verses 18 through 16. He writes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up as a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What do we want to be known for? Who do we ultimately want to follow? Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As I said, pastors change, congregations change, but Jesus remains the same. Ultimately, he is the leader we are all looking at together. Our lives individually and corporately should imitate his. This is really a foundational Christological statement that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One commentator writes, The same Christ who was so real to their community in the beginning as they were ministered to by their former leader, presently sits in his exalted state and will rule perpetually. Although their circumstances change, Jesus Christ and his gospel do not. The author is um, referencing sacrifices that are made on the Day of Atonement. Um, This is set forth in Leviticus 16 in the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, sacrifices of bulls and goats were made for the sin offering, to be able to make these people, um, the worshipers, ritually clean before God. And after the blood of the animals was used for the forgiveness of sins, the rest of the animals were taken outside the camp or the city to be burned up. There was nothing else used of them. This is the same sacrifice that Jesus made, the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins to make his people holy. But then he references that we should go outside the camp also to make our own sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that proclaim his name. This phrase also comes from Leviticus 7 and refers to the thank offering. This is the offering that is made after the sin offering. The thank offering was voluntary, could only be made after previous offerings had been presented when the worshiper was ritually clean. It was primarily purposed to express gratitude to God. In other words, the sacrifices we now make in our lives after having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus are not for our further purification, but to speak praises and thanks back to God for what he has done through the atoning life death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is why we should not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, those who do not uh, line up with Jesus' life. This is why we do not seek ceremonial foods to strengthen us, but the grace of Christ that strengthens our hearts. It can be a uh, quite a humbling thing to receive grace. It doesn't always feel like good news. Receiving grace means that you're in need of grace. 
that you need grace in your lives. We don't always want to admit that. I offered grace to a friend this past week, and the first reaction I received was defensiveness. He did not want to admit that he needed grace. But the author writes that it is this grace that strengthens our hearts. Robert Farrar Capon says, Grace doesn't sell. You can hardly even give it away because it works only for losers and no one wants to stand in their line. Grace has to be drunk straight. No water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. Neither goodness nor badness nor flowers that bloom in spring of super spirituality could be allowed to enter the case. How do we follow Christ outside the camp? How do we imitate him? We become vats of grace, casts of a hundred proof grace, offering our lives as living sacrifices to him by serving his bride, by serving the church. We lay down our lives for the Christian community. We serve. We pay attention to the needs of those around us. We share our lives with one another. This emphasizes that we are in a community together. We need one another. This is the corporate meaning of the church. We need to bring our practical needs to one another, our domestic needs, our material needs, prayerfully praying for one another. We need to be willing to bring those needs to the community so that we can be served. This is a life of faith that pleases God. This is what it means to follow Christ's Leadership, living on His grace and offering it to those around you. We don't have to be mavericks anymore. Me as a leader or you as a congregation. Together as pastors and congregation, we are the church as we follow the leader, Jesus. As we offer our lives full of grace back to Him in gratitude and as we serve one another in our world around us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that um, we don't have to be alone, that we don't have to uh, self-determine our lives, that we um, all together have a leader to follow, that we have the grace and mercy and love that you deeply desire to pour out upon us through the life of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are with us, that you strengthen us by your grace. Help us to soak in it and help us to be Um, dispensers of your grace Um, without judgment, without worry um, for our own reputation, uh, for others, that we would serve wholeheartedly those here as a part of the table and those nearest to us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.